Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kiman. It's great to be with you on this wonderful, fabulous afternoon as we're getting ready for the holiday of Hanukkah, the festival of lights. Of course, the story of this holiday recalls the victory of our ancestors who were militarily weak, but they were spiritually strong as the Jewish people over the mighty Syrian Greek forces who had overrun ancient Israel, threatened to engulf the land and all its people into darkness. They desecrated, they defiled the holy temple in Jerusalem and the pure oil that was prepared for the lighting of the menorah every day was defiled. When our ancestors, who, though they were militarily weak, they were spiritually strong. They defeated the Assyrian Greek armies who had overrun the land and they recaptured the temple. Yet only one jar of undefiled oil was found. There was other oil, but with us in Judaism, it is not only about what's rationally understood. In fact, very likely, perhaps, according to some of the commentaries, that's precisely what the Assyrian Greeks wanted to do, was to eliminate the spiritual sanctity of the oil. And so even though there was plenty of oil available, but there was only one jar that was found that was undefiled. And that was enough to burn for only one day. And yet miraculously, it lasted for eight whole days. And so in commemoration of that miraculous event, every year we celebrate Hanukkah for eight days by lighting our eight-branch menorah or more precisely, more accurately known as the Chanukia. And especially important now, as anti-Semitism has worryingly come to the fore amid the problems and challenges and struggles and everything we're facing, now is the time. The menorah's representation of the words of our sages, that a little bit of light can expel a lot of darkness. Darkness comes in many different forms. It comes in load shedding, the crime and corruption that we see in this country. We have, unfortunately, the anti-Semitism all over the world. We can't chase away that darkness with sticks, but with light, we sure can. So when we light the menorah at home, it reminds us that illumination begins first with ourselves, with our families, with our loved ones. Then, of course, it emanates outward into the world around us. This is a very profound message and lesson that's unique to Hanukkah because the main mitzvah of Hanukkah is called Pursume Nisa. It is the mitzvah we're instructed to publicize, to spread the story, the miracle that happened to our ancestors during this time back then. And yet how we do so? We do so by kindling our menorahs at home. But we're not deep, not hidden somewhere secretive in our home, not in the attic or basement, but in our windows or doorways. And from there, we go into the public sphere. We want to illuminate and transform the entire world around us, all the darkness that exists. And darkness, there's so much of it that exists out there. And we need to combat that darkness by kindling light. Every single one of us can be the light. It's a dark time for our people. Many people have all kinds of justified fears. And so... How will Hanukkah be celebrated? Well, we're going to go out there. We're going to light our menorahs. We're going to share the celebration. We're not going to cower and hide away. We will celebrate our identity with more confidence, with more Jewish pride, with more resolve. And therefore, I invite you all to come join us at our giant menorah lighting 
at Samton Central Shul, where we are going to illuminate the Samton skyline, and we want you to be part of this, to bring more light into the world. For a Jew, we know we cannot cower to this darkness. We have to overcome it by bringing more light. In fact, the Rebbe launched the Hanukkah awareness campaign 50 years ago, 1973, in the aftermath of the Yom Kippur War in Israel. And in this 50 years, in the half century since then, the Festival of Light has revitalized widespread observance of Hanukkah, brought it to the mainstream. No longer does a Jewish kid out there have to say, oh, look at all the other holiday decorations and celebrations. We know we can be proud of our own. The menorah and indeed Hanukkah with its universal message of freedom of the human spirit, freedom from tyranny and oppression, the ultimate victory of good over evil is so important to all of society, not just for us as Jewish people. When we're confronted with hatred by seeing the public display of our menorah, it's now more important than ever. We can have no better response to negativity, any negative that we experience, that we encounter, than to proudly gather together in even greater numbers than before and to celebrate the light of the public menorah. And therefore, we encourage and invite you all to come join us for the giant public menorah lightings. And I hope to get to see you there in person. Come, say hello. And the important purpose is we want to encourage the central theme of this holiday of publicizing the story of the miracle and the victory of light over darkness. The menorah faces the street. And so everyone can see it and feel the effect of the light, which illuminates the outside and the environment. And please, God, we all experience that victory once again. Because Hanukkah emphasized emphasizes to us that each and every individual, every single one of us has the unique power to illuminate the whole world. It reminds us that illumination begins with ourselves, but it doesn't end there. We can spread that light and the responsibility comes not only when it's simple or easy, but when it seems so difficult. And indeed the lights of the Hanukkah menorah, when do we kindle them? When the sun is setting When darkness begins to cover the earth, that's when the light and energy of a candle has the greatest impact. We need to illuminate that darkness. Every night of Hanukkah, what are we going to do? We light one more candle than the previous night. Each night, the world is a little bit brighter. The menorah reminds us that we should always aspire to increase in the positive things that we do. If we did a good deed yesterday, great. Today, do more good deeds. The menorah represents freedom from tyranny, freedom from all people ex- that everyone can express their faith as they see fit. And we as a Jewish people need to be able to express our faith as we see fit. And so, my friends, it is most important that we be present, that we come out to the lighting of the menorah. I recall a number of years back when I first arrived in South Africa and joined the Chabad Yeshiva here. There was a little bit of a controversy. It was a controversy around the menorah because there were, in fact, there was a particular rabbi who came to me and said that this isn't Brooklyn. You can't just put up a big public menorah. And we persevered. We said, we're not going to hide our Judaism, which of course leads us to a discussion about why the Rebbe came out with this campaign 50 years ago to publicize the story of Hanukkah. Why is it so important 
that indeed we do publicize the miracle of the Hanukkah story, is it that important to actually do so? And the Rebbe indeed felt it was. And it lies perhaps at a fundamental question about why do we do this? Is it because, you know, what is the purpose of the public menorah lighting? Does the public lighting of a menorah and any other, call it ostentatious, in-your-face kind of, or even gimmicky displays of religious symbols and rituals, does it further the cause of increasing Jewish knowledge and observance, or does it cheapen and debase it anyway? In fact, what I was saying earlier is that this is something that is unique to Hanukkah. There's no other holiday in which we actually publicize and go out there, all out there and publish it in, in, in promoting our religious practices. We don't a matzah and put it in the window on Pesach. We don't put our shofar, we don't blow the shofar outside on Rosh Hashanah. Although we at Chabad do, we've got shofar in the park. But when it comes to Hanukkah, when it comes to light, the mitzvah is Pesumenisa. We have to go out there. That's the main mitzvah, to publicize the miracle. When Chabad began staging these public Hanukkah menorah lightings back in the 1970s, there were those who denounced them as an exercise in showmanship. And one person said that the giant menorah is the most craven form of assimilation. They claimed that it's reducing Hanukkah to becoming a competitor with Xmas. And in fact... There was a reform rabbi who was a prominent individual in the United States. He was the vice president of the Central Conference of American Rabbis. And he wrote a letter to the Rebbe. And in that letter, he bemoaned the menorah lighting. He said the proper place to light the menorah would be at home, where Judaism should be practiced, where people should be observing their religious practices and rituals. And you know, is it, it's possible that we could dismiss these criticisms, perhaps as sour grapes on the part of, of certain individuals or organizations that maybe were annoyed by the rising popularity of Chabad. But I would like to look at it a little bit more open-mindedly, regardless of the motives of those who attacked the public menorah lightings. I want to explore, I want to examine the issue that they raised, because it's a good question for us to discuss today. Is all publicity good publicity? Do we not cheap in those things that are sacred to us when we display them publicly. Are we not reducing a holy mitzvah to a publicity stunt as some of the people tried to claim? And indeed, it's something that we should discuss and try to understand and take all perspectives and opinions into consideration. So certainly there is a perspective that would oppose the public menorah lightings. And I'm not talking about now separation of church and state, of lighting it on a public property, because here at Chabad we usually light it at Santon City, which is a public space, uh, sorry, it's a private space, or even at our shul, which is, again, private space, even if it's in the public and it's seen for all. So I think this is something that is worthwhile discussing, and we'll be right back in a moment and talk more about this and get some perspectives and ideas and a little bit of balance on whether or not we should be publicizing the 
story of Hanukkah, or any other Jewish rituals for that matter, or not. We'll be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9. Hi, I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kiman, and great to be with you here this wonderful afternoon as we get ready to celebrate the holiday of Hanukkah. And indeed, our discussion so far today was, what about the public menorah lightings, which of course you're all invited to join us for, but let's try to understand, indeed, do the public displays of Judaism, do they cheapen our holidays or do they actually sanctify and uplift them to a higher plane? And this is a wonderful discussion and important to have. And in fact, many people will argue that there's an aspect of Judaism about modesty, about sniut. In fact, if you look in the Torah, there's many such examples of, for example, I'm just thinking of certain cases in the Book of Kings where it talks about the battle of Elijah in the times of the supporters of the idol worship of Baal. And then the verse says that God is not in the wind, God is not in the storm, God is not in the fire, but God is in a small, still voice. And what's it telling us there? Our sages tell us that it's talking about the importance of the modesty, of, of, of quiet. Another good example comes to mind would be of the Ten Commandments, where in the Torah story, when God gave us the Torah at Mount Sinai, there was tremendous fanfare, there was thunder and lightning, call it fireworks, when God gave the Torah. And yet we know that 40 days later, that's all, a mere 40 days after the revelation at Sinai, the children of Israel abandoned their newly formed covenant with God and worshipped an idol, the golden calf. And this led to the breaking of the tablets and of of the of the covenant, and on which you think about it, those very tablets had the inscribed the Ten Commandments. And Moshe prays that the people who ultimately repented. It's not before Rosh Hashanah now, not Yom Kippur, so we won't talk about that. But God agreed to renew their covenant and grant the second tablets. And it's about the second tablets that we know those did endure, whereas the first ones didn't. In fact, personal story: my grandmother was once dispatched by the Rebbe in the early 1960s, on a clandestine mission back to Europe. I don't know what the mission was because it was a secret clandestine mission. But my grandmother told me the story to teach me a lesson. And she said the Rebbe asked her before he dispatched her, he asked her if she knew the difference between the first and second tablets. Why is it that the first ones did not last while the second ones did endure? And she knew the answer that our sages tell us that the first tablets came with a whole big commotion, with noise, with crowds, with all the fireworks. It describes how God comes down on Mount Sinai, reveals himself to us, and we all rec- we all made the great proclamation, Nasa and Ishmael will do and we'll hear. And yet, the whole thing fizzes out in just a few short weeks. It's only the second time around when the Torah was given, and yet it wasn't with storm and fire and with all the fireworks, but with a small, still voice. And that is the covenant of our ancestors that does endure because there's no greater virtue, our sages tell us, than sneer, than modesty. What exactly is it? Why is it so important? I'm sure you could think of various examples. Here are just a few to think of. Sneer implies modesty and privacy. Hasidic teaching talks about the value of panemius, of innerness, that a person's divine service should be unblitus, without these protrusions, without uh, publicity, without showing off. And there are numerous examples. We think about 
the holy temple itself, the there was the Kodesh Kodesh, the Holy of Holies in the Beis Hamikdash, which was a secluded inner chamber. Only the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, entered there, and only once a year on the holiest day of the year of Yom Kippur. In fact, our sages compare our own innermost chamber, our bedroom, as a sanctified space, a holy of holy of sorts. You think about in our synagogues, in the shul, the Sefer Torah, the Holy Scrolls kept inside the Ark, the Aron HaKodesh, behind closed doors and a curtain. Even when it's taken out, it's still kept covered in its mantle or the case. It's opened only for the actual reading. And immediately we cover it while we're not reading it and we put it away as soon as we're done. Think about a marriage, the very first moment after a wedding, right after the chuppah. Couple spends alone time in the yichin. They leave all their well-wishers and guests, the entire audience of their wedding, and they spend some time alone. This is their sacred moment. Nobody could intrude. There's modesty in dress and behavior. Torah law mandates that we keep our bodies covered. This refers both to men and women. We're supposed to dress modestly. It's not only about the way we dress, about the way we behave. Not because our body is evil, but on the contrary, because it's sacred. And the same thing applies to any public displays of affection. You'll notice religious couples don't kiss or hold hands in public, something that strikes many people as strange. What's wrong? If you love each other, why not let everyone see? It's not about prudishness, but about the desire to protect that which is precious to us. Intimacy loses its specialness when it becomes a public display. When people truly love each other, they don't have to, they don't feel the need to constantly announce it to the world. So it, this whole idea of tzniyos, of, of modesty and privacy is very highly valued in Judaism, especially regarding things that we hold sacred. And yet at the same time, while we see this anti-publicity idea and approach within Judaism, if we flip the coin the other way, we see that there's a counter-argument to it. In fact, in the very opening words of Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, what does it say? It starts off with these words, Yiskaber Ka'ari, a person should, a Jew should be strong like a lion. That we should get up in the morning to serve our Creator, not sheepishly, with pride. We should not be embarrassed or intimidated from the maligim, those who try to mock us. And what's this about? In fact, let me share with you something the Rebbe said about this. And he spoke about this. It's You see a letter in Igor Kodesh in volume 15. It says how amazing it is that this principle the steadfast determination not to be intimidated by those who try to mock and make fun of us. The very beginning of ours, of Shulchan Aruch, the code of Jewish law. If we understand how crucial this is to the fulfillment of all laws of the Torah, it's fundamental for our guidance for life. This is what a Jew is about. We've always been, so to say, the minority among the nations, but we always retained our distinctiveness in every area of our lives, even in the most difficult of our exiles, no matter what challenges or struggles we faced, it's only due to this behavior that we survive to this day. And, of course, to which we merit the everything that Jewish pride brings us. So, I mean, let's be honest. 
are the people who argue against the cheapening of Judaism, are they really concerned about preserving its dignity, these laws of Tznias, or are they simply uncomfortable with the fact that their Jewishness is now out in the open? Jewish pride is obviously important. But what we see is just how important it is. The Shulchan Aruch is the code of Jewish law, and it spells out to us how to live Jewishly from the moment we wake up in the morning until the moment we fall asleep at night, from the first day of the year to the last, from the moment we're born till after 120, from cradle to grave, as Chief Rabbi Harris used to say, as the job of a rabbi's hatch match and dispatch, the Shulchan Aruch states that an important part of Jewish living, of living Jewishly, is not to be intimidated by those who mock our faith, who make fun of our observances. And it tells us very clearly, it chooses to make this statement in the very first paragraph, on the very first page. What does that tell us about the priority that Judaism places on Jewish pride? The fact that we are being told this at the very opening of the Code of Jewish Law, I think speaks for itself. And we know, if we look at our history, you know, the 19th century saw the rise of what came to be called the Haskalah movement, Jewish enlightenment. That was in Eastern Europe. And these were Jewish intellectuals who called for the abandonment of the antiquated, the outmoded Jewish way of life and for modernization and secularization. In fact, one of the great leading figures of the Haskalah movement at the time, a writer, a poet by the name of Yehuda Leib Gordon, and he published a poem in 1866 called Awake My People. And he called on Jews to embrace the culture and ways of the countries in which they lived. He believed that Jews suffered from anti-Semitism, from hate and discrimination because we looked and acted so different from our non-Jewish neighbors. He said the solution would be for Jews to self-emancipate. We should shed our old outmoded mannerisms and we should assume our rightful place as citizens of equal standing. And, of course, we all know how well that worked out in the end. Yet, he says, and he coined a phrase, Yehudi Techa, be a Jew at home. I forget how it goes properly, but basically, the idea was, at home you be a Jew, but be like everyone else, be human in the streets. In other words, you don't have to give up your Jewishness within the confines of your home, right? Preserve the traditions of Judaism. But at home, not in the street. Outside on the street, be like everyone else. And that became the central slogan of the Haskalah movement. And that was something that was very much promoted and endorsed by many leading figures at the time. Be a human being in the street, be a Jew at home. And that was something that many people uh, embraced back then. And think about it. It takes the issue of Jewish pride to a different level. The idea that our Jewishness should be a private affair. That, I think, implies a disconnect between our private and our public selves. And you may have heard people say, Judaism is not a religion, it's a way of life. And that's much more than just a tagline. You know, relegating our Jewishness to certain areas of our life means that we're treating it as a religion. And, you know, say, I have a job, I have hobbies, I support certain policies of whatever political party. Uh, none of those are who I am. That's why we insist that Judaism is not a religion. It's not something we do. 
It's who and what we are. And if that's the case, then our Jewishness is not something that should be relegated just to our private lives. Because at the end, something that is just relegated to the back burner, unfortunately, becomes something that's abandoned, that's forgotten. If being Jewish is who I am, not just, you know, something I do, then this is something that will, in every way, shape, and form, be who we are. Keeping our Jewishness out of the public, unfortunately, that also means that we are conflicted, that we're not whole. And what winds up happening is that there's a part of me that I'm hiding, and that's not very healthy. We can't say we live in two different worlds, my private and public space. It doesn't mean that there are no challenges to living Jewishly in a in a general non-Jewish society in a world around us, especially in today's world. It doesn't mean that there aren't any struggles, but it means that we're not compartmentalized and separating and segregating who we are in different directions. We have one truth that we live. We carry it with us wherever we go. And I think that approach that was propagated by the Haskalah movement of being a human in the street and a Jew at home, that treated Judaism as a religion that's relegated to a specific corner of our existence. When you see Judaism as a way of life, then it becomes our totality. It becomes who we are, a way that we live our life all the time. And we'll be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9. Hi, FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kiban. And we're talking about the purpose of the giant menorah lightings that the Rebbe had promoted and started about 50 years ago and how we keep it going and strong because we want to promote our Judaism. It's not something we are in any way uh, embarrassed of. This is something that we need to be proudly Jewish. And the mitzvah of Hanukkah is Pursumenisa, that is to publicize the miracle. We're instructed that the Hanukkah menorah is to be lit in a public space, that we let the world know about the wonders and miracles that God performed for our ancestors back then in these days as well. And please, God, we're praying for those miracles to happen once again, as the world truly does need a miracle to transform the darkness that we endure in these days into light. And please, God, I think that is the message of Hanukkah, is that while our world is getting darker and darker, with load shedding and crime and corruption and all the abject evil that exists, we can be the light. Every single one of us can transform the darkness around us into light. And what's interesting, or, you know, it's ironic that of all Jewish observances, it was the public kindling of Hanukkah menorahs that elicited the, the, the uh, criticism of cheap publicity when the entire purpose of kindling the menorah exactly is this, presuminista, to publicize the miracle. And in fact, if you look in Jewish law, where it talks about Hanukkah, that Hiskin Chachamim, why did our sages, why did our ancestors, uh, the, the great sages who instituted Hanukkah, why did they do so? That the custom is to light the menorah. Exactly this is what our sages tell us. The purpose is leharais ulegalesanes, to display and to publicize the miracle. This is something that's written in Shulchan Aruch very clearly that 
we make sure to kindle the lights. Shulchan Aruch says you light at home to fulfill the obligation and you light in the shul to publicize the miracle. So what does this tell us about the purpose of the mitzvah of kindling the Hanukkah lights? It's all about the miracle. It's all about publicizing the miracle, letting the world know. And Pursume Nisa is something that is unique to Hanukkah. You know, you look at where the Hanukkah lights are kindled, as we said before, in the doorway. Originally, the doorway used to lead to the street. And you could say here in Joburg, nobody necessarily sees your doorway, so do it somewhere where it's a little bit more uh, 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 prominent. Or in the window, looking out into the street. And yes, it's true, we light our menorah at home, but we also light it in shul, as it says in Shulchan Aruch, simply because there's a larger crowd there. And this further publicizes the miracle. In fact, we light it in the shul, even though we're still obligated to light at home. Now, the truth is that the fact that halachically there's a prescribed time for lighting the menorah is when? At the beginning of the evening. Why then? Because that's when people conclude their day's business. Because that's when there is the most traffic on the streets. And when a lot of people, more people will get a chance to see it. Some of the people who opposed or were dismissive of the public menorah lightings, they argued that Shulchan Aruch specifically specifies how this publicizing should be done at Homer and Shul. And it makes no mention of the public street lightings that Chabad is known for. So maybe we shouldn't be inventing new ways to create this instruction of Prisuminissa publicizing the miracle. On the other hand, if you think about it, the the Shulchan Aruch was written at a time when most men were present, would be going to the shul. And today we need to reach the unfortunately large number of Jews who probably would not otherwise be participating in a menorah lighting. And so these public lightings fill that role that the shul lightings did. Lighting just for Pursumenisa, even if you're not actually fulfilling the mitzvah, which you should be doing at home. So I think this is something that is of paramount importance that we promote this lighting of the menorah in public, in public where the, everyone can see it, which is specifically why it's done at this particular time in the evening that more and more people can see it. And this we see in Jewish law as a precedent. Now something very interesting I want to re- share with you, something I read from the late Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory, very profound and I think he eloquently summarizes the, the question of public Judaism. Now let me just find this here. It's um, in his work, A Judaism Engaged with the World. And he says, the Jewish world today represents the working through which through, through a process that was begun in mainland Europe long before the Holocaust. Based on societies that did not accept them as Jews, a fateful choice framed itself in many Jewish minds, either to enter society and abandon the Jewishness, or to preserve the Jewishness at the cost of turning their back on society. There were, it seemed, just two options, assimilate or segregate. Both are a failure of nerve in the Judaic project. Can it really be that Judaism has nothing to contribute to society and the world? Can it be that when Jews engage with the world, they have to hide their identity, acting as if they were 21st century equivalents of the Maranas of Spain, Jews in secret but not in public? Are Jewish faith and practice so fragile that it can only be sustained by being screened from all contact with other cultures? It was once so, but not so today. The Jewish situation has changed decisively. Jews have sovereignty and independence in Israel, freedom and equality in the diaspora. We must stop feeling defensive about being Jewish and engage with the world 
with humility, but without fear. Very profound and really beautiful the way Rabbi Sack puts it, because basically saying earlier generations, Jews felt that they had just one of two choices, segregation or assimilation. And both approaches assume that living as a Jew is incompatible with being a visible and impactful, having a, an impactful presence in society at large. But as Rabbi Sachs put it, today the situation of Jews in the world has changed decisively. We should stop feeling defensive about being Jewish and engage with the world with humility, but without fear. So my friends, we discussed the debate surrounding the public menorah, which I certainly hope that you'll come join us this evening for the giant menorah lighting. Tonight will take place at Santon Central Shul at our giant menorah. And there's two fundamental questions which we've asked. What's the greater challenge to our Jewishness? Is it other religions or is it irreligiosity? That's one concern. And of course, wondering about whether it's the public display of the menorah or any Jewish symbol for that matter. In, 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 does that strengthen Jewish identity and observance or does it cheapen it? And while there's different arguments supporting both sides of these questions, there's regarding the debate of religiosity or religiosity, my personal take is that both sides seem to hate us. From the right and the left, we seem to have animosity and discrimination. For the ultra-religious fanatics of other religions, we're not good enough, we're infidels, we're whatever they want to call us. And for those who are irreligious, we're the religious fanatics. So, it's a catch-22, and I don't think we can answer that question properly. And whether or not having public displays of Judaism, personally, I think that it's a matter of Jewish pride, and it's expressing our Jewishness. I don't think this has to be done in any arrogant way, but certainly in a humble way, and doing our thing, practicing our Judaism, not being ashamed of it. And I want to share with you another factor which which also comes to mind. And that is the Torah's description of one of the special garments that's worn by the Kohen Gadol, the high priest in the temple, during his service on in, in the temple back of old. And very interesting and a thought-provoking story is told in the Talmud. I want to share this with you because the Rebbe has a commentary on this, and he draws on this idea and shares with us a revolutionary approach to Jewish outreach that I think is profound and worthwhile sharing. So the Torah tells us that the priestly garments, and it gives us the instructions, and they had to have these bells at the bottom. You know, the original bell bottoms were worn by Aaron the high priest. Says the Gemara, it happened that Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Lezer, Ben Azariah, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Akiva, they were traveling when they heard this commotion of the mobs of Rome from a distance, from a long, a far distance away. The Gemara says about 120 mil. And they, the other sages, began to weep while Rabbi Akiva laughed. You're probably familiar with the story. They asked him, why is he laughing? He answered, you know, how does the Jew answer a question with a question? Why? Why not? He asked them why they're weeping. And he said to them, you know, they said to him that these barbarians, they, they, they prostrate themselves before statues and sacrifice to idols. They dwell happy and secure. While we, the footstool of God, was consumed by fire, referring to the holy temple, should we not weep? And... They said to him, uh, Rabbi Akiva responded to them, and he said, that's why I'm laughing. Because if for these transgressors of God's will, there's, they're enjoying their lot, then how much more so for those of us who do God's will? And the Rebbe had a very beautiful commentary on this. I want to actually read it to you from the Rebbe's teachings in the Kutisichas, volume 16. And he says as follows, this provides us with a special lesson for our generation, the generation of the footsteps of Mashiach. There are those who present 
the argument they say it's true that due to the impoverished spiritual state of our generation, we need to engage in this in the dissemination of Torah and the strengthening of Judaism. We can't settle for remaining in our own inner sanctum, but it even the inner sanctum of Torah and 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 to be asked to teach Torah. Rather, we must venture out to the outside, search for lost Jews, and bring them back into the fold. Why, however, must this work be done with such commotion and noise, the Rebbe asks? Why is it necessary to go out into the street and loudly broadcast there, and he's asking basically the questions of others, calling on other Jews to put on tefillin, which is something the Rebbe promoted, and established to put up mezuzahs on people's doors, to get tzedakah, etc. We don't find any precedent for such tumultuous behavior in previous generations. And the Rebbe Thorno instituted this at a large scale, and many rabbis were protesting it. So the Rebbe responded to them as follows. He says, according to all the signs provided in the Talmud, we see that we're now in the generation of Chedle Mashiach, the footsteps of Mashiach, the lowest level, the hem of the robe. We should therefore remember that on the hem of the robe, they need to be the bells, just like the bells of the, of the high priest when he would enter into the Holy of Holies. Of those Jews, that's, we have to, the sound of the bell has to be heard. In fact, the noise that the return of these Jewish souls produces is the most lofty virtue the Rebbe said about them. And another point he, he emphasized, we see that on the part of the transgressors of God's will, there's this commotion of mobs of Rome in unholy matters. Everything's done, not in privacy, but with great publicity and commotion. Therefore, the way to counteract the noise of the other side is with our own methodology by fighting fire with fire, meaning that the efforts of those who do God's will is in a manner that its sounds should be heard in the very places where the commotion of the mobs of Rome asserts itself. And this will in turn bring about the fulfillment of Rabbi Akiva's statement, if for the transgressors, it's so, then how much more so for those who do God's will, that the Jewish people will be settled on their land in security and tranquility, that the great shofar will blast that the great shofar blast will be sounded and the voice that announces, announces and proclaims and heralds in the imminent redemption. That's a translation of the Rebbe's talk. And I think the Rebbe is essentially saying that in earlier generations, there may have been good reasons for a less flamboyant in your face approach to Jewish outreach, whether in respect to the small still voice that we talked about of spirituality or that's the premius or to minimize conflict with the non-Jewish world the two issues that are debatable. But maybe that's why we didn't have public menorahs or mitzvah tanks or Shavuot's ice cream parties and chauffeur in the park in our great-grandparents' time. But in today's world, it's imperative that we are out there, that we're in the streets, that we're combating the noise of Rome with our holy noise. It is so important that we do exactly that because I think in today's day and age, when there's so much anti-Semitism, where there's so much an, uh, 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 hatred, where there's so much darkness, all the more so, today, we need to be that light. So my friends, let us all go out there. Let us be the light that is so desperately needed in our time in order to combat the darkness, the anti-Semitism, and all the challenges and problems that the world is facing today. So I encourage each and every one of you to come join us this evening, 6.30 p.m. at Santon Central Show, where we're going to have a giant mineral lighting, and we're going to have treats for the kids, and music and celebration. It's not going to be a very long event, but it will be a meaningful and purposeful one, and thereby we're going to spread that light and remind ourselves that each and every single one of us 
can be the light. Hanukkah has so many profound messages and lessons for each of us that we mustn't forget about increasing the light in this world. The world has become so dark with so many challenges. Let us be that light. Hanukkah emphasizes that each and every individual has the unique power to illuminate the entire world. Yes, it starts at home, but it reminds us that that illumination, though it begins at home with ourselves and our families, it doesn't end there. And that's where we're going to light this public menorah lighting. And we want you to be part of it. And that responsibility comes not only when it's simple and easy, but all the more so when it sometimes seems so difficult. And so the lights of the Hanukkah menorah, when do we kindle them specifically as we discussed, when the sun is setting and darkness covers the earth, but literally and figuratively, that's when the light and energy of a candle has the greatest impact. And that's why we need you to be part of it, because the the more of us who come together, the greater impact each of us can make. And something most fascinating, each night of Hanukkah, we light another candle, right? We are increasing the light from the night before. Each night, the world gets a little bit brighter because the more light that you're adding. And the menorah reminds us that we should always aspire to increase in the positive things that we're doing. If you did a good deed yesterday, great. But let's do even more good deeds today. Let's, like the menorah candles, you share one light, it spreads the light with more and more. The menorah represents, the menorah represents freedom from tyranny and oppression and freedom for all people to express their own faith as they see fit. So when we do this in the public space, and in fact, the shul is actually a private space, just that it will be public, publicly seen, and the menorah represents those principles of equality and religious freedom, which this country really very much uh, emphasizes as a rainbow nation that everyone can 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 uh, share and practice their religious diversity in their own unique way which is unique to South Africa, certainly in the past um, two decades, three decades on early. So let us all practice that. Let's all be there. I think it's most important that everybody come, be part of this. We're looking forward to seeing you this evening and every evening of Hanukkah, 6.30 p.m. at the Giant Menorah Lighting, except for Saturday night when it will be after Shabbos at 7.30 p.m. Looking forward to seeing you there, wishing you a very special and happy Hanukkah and a great Shabbos. And indeed, my friends, remember to aspire to inspire before you retire. Looking forward to seeing you. Good Shabbos. Happy Hanukkah and Carpe Diem.